Bethmora, Chapter Five of A Dreamer's Tales by Lord Dunsany. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. There is a faint freshness in the London night, as though some strayed reveller of a breeze had left his comrades in the Kentish uplands and had entered the town by stealth. The pavements are a little damp and shiny. Upon one's ears, that at this late hour have become very acute, there hits the tap of a remote footfall. Louder and louder grow the taps, filling the whole night, and a black-cloaked figure passes by and goes tapping into the dark. One who has danced goes homewards. Somewhere a ball has closed its doors and ended. Its yellow lights are out, its musicians are silent, its dancers have all gone into the night air, and time has said of it, let it be past and over, and among the things that I have put away. Shadows begin to detach themselves from their great gathering places. No less silently than those shadows that are thin and dead move homewards the stealthy cats. Thus have we even in London our faint forebodings of the dawn's approach, which the birds and the beasts and the stars are crying aloud to the untrammeled fields. At what moment, I know not, I perceive that the night itself is irrevocably overthrown. It is suddenly revealed to me, by the weary pallor of the street lamps, that the streets are silent and nocturnal still, not because there is any strength in night, but because men have not yet arisen from sleep to defy him. So have I seen dejected and untidy guards still bearing antique muskets in palatial gateways, although the realms of the monarch that they guard have shrunk to a single province which no enemy has yet troubled to overrun. And it is now manifest from the aspect of the street lamps, those abashed dependents of night, that already English mountain peaks have seen the dawn, that the cliffs of Dover are standing white to the morning, that the sea mist has lifted and is pouring inland. And now men with a hose have come out and are sluicing out the streets, Behold now, night is dead. What memories, what fancies throng one's mind, a night but just now gathered out of London by the horrific hand of time, a million common artificial things all cloaked for a while in mystery, like beggars robed in purple and seated on dread thrones. Four million people asleep, dreaming perhaps. What worlds have they gone into? Whom have they met? But my thoughts are far off with Bethmora in her loneliness, whose gates swing to and fro. To and fro they swing, and creak and creak in the wind, but no one hears them. They are of green copper, very lovely, but no one sees them now. The desert wind pours sand into their hinges. No watchman comes to ease them. No guard goes round Bethmore's battlements, no enemy assails them. There are no lights in her houses, no footfall on her streets. She stands there, dead and lonely beyond the hills of Hap. And I would see Bethmore once again, but dare not. It is many a year, they tell me, since Bethmore became desolate. Her desolation is spoken of in taverns where sailors meet certain travelers have told me of it. I had hoped to see Bethmora once again. It is many a year ago, they say, when the vintage was last gathered in from the vineyards that I knew, where it is all desert now. 
It was a radiant day, and the people of the city were dancing by the vineyards, while here and there one played upon the calipac. The purple-flowering shrubs were all in bloom, and the snow shone upon the hills of Hap. Outside the copper gates they crushed the grapes in vats to make the up. It had been a goodly vintage. In the little gardens at the desert's edge, men beat the tombang and the titabuck and blew melodiously the zutabar. All there was mirth and song and dance, because the vintage had been gathered in, and there would be ample sirabub for the winter months, and much left over to exchange for turquoises and emeralds with the merchants who come down from Oxuhan. Thus they rejoiced all day over their vintage on the narrow strip of cultivated ground that lay between Bethmora and the desert, which meets the sky to the south. And when the heat of the day began to abate, and the sun drew near to the snows on the hills of Hap, the note of the Zutabar still rose clear from the gardens, and the brilliant dresses of the dancers still wound among the flowers. All that day... Three men on mules had been noticed crossing the face of the hills of Hap. Backwards and forwards they moved as the track wound lower and lower, three little specks of black against the snow. They were seen first in the very early morning up near the shoulder of Pale Yaganoth and seemed to be coming out of Utnarvahi. All day they came, and in the evening, just before the lights come out and colors change, they appeared before Bethmura's copper gates. They carried staves, such as messengers bear in those lands, and seemed somberly clad when the dancers all came round them with their green and lilac dresses. Those Europeans who were present and heard the message given were ignorant of the language and only caught the name of Utnarvahi, but it was brief and passed rapidly from mouth to mouth, and almost at once the people burnt their vineyards and began to flee away from Bethmora, going for the most part northwards, though some went to the east. They ran down out of their fair white houses and streamed through the copper gate. The throbbing of the tambang and the titabuck suddenly ceased with the note of the zutabar, and the clinking calipac stopped a moment after. The three strange travelers went back the way they came the instant their message was given. It was the hour when a light would have appeared in some high tower, and window after window would have poured into the dusk its lion-frightening light, and the copper gates would have been fastened up. But no lights came out in windows there that night, and have not ever since. And those copper gates were left wide and have never shut. And the sound arose of the red fire crackling in the vineyards, and the pattering of feet fleeing softly. There were no cries, no other sounds at all, only the rapid and determined flight. They fled as swiftly and quietly as a herd of wild cattle flee when they suddenly see a man. It was as though something had befallen which had been feared for generations, which could only be escaped by instant flight, which left no time for indecision. Then fear took the Europeans also, and they too fled. And what the message was, I have never heard. Many believe that it was a message from Thubamlin, the mysterious emperor of those lands, who is never seen by man, advising that Bethmora should be left desolate. Others say that the message was one of warning from the gods, whether from friendly gods or from adverse ones they know not. 
and others hold that the plague was ravaging a line of cities over in Utnarvahi, following the southwest wind which for many weeks had been blowing across them towards Bethmura. Some say that the terrible Nusar sickness was upon the three travelers, and that their very mules were dripping with it, and suppose that they were driven to the city by hunger, but suggest no better reason for so terrible a crime. But most believe that it was a message from the desert himself, who owns all the earth to the southwards, spoken with his peculiar cry to those three who knew his voice, men who had been out on the sand waste without tents by night, who had been by day without water, men who had been out there where the desert mutters, and had grown to know his needs and his malevolence. They say that the desert had a need for Bethmora, that he wished to come into her lovely streets and to send into her temples and her houses his storm winds draped with sand, for he hates the sound and the sight of men in his old evil heart, and he would have Bethmora silent and undisturbed, save for the weird love he whispers to her gates. If I knew what that message was that the three men brought on mules and told in the copper gate, I think that I should go and see Bethmora once again. For a great longing comes on me here in London to see once more that white and beautiful city, and yet I dare not, for I know not the danger I should have to face, whether I should risk the fury of unknown dreadful gods or some disease unspeakable and slow or the desert's curse, or torture in some little private room of the Emperor Thubamlin, or something that the travelers have not told, perhaps more fearful still. End of Bethmura Chapter 5 of A Dreamer's Tales by Lord Dunsany Recording by David Mack